Hello everyone, and my name is Jenna and I'm your host, and today we are talking about Avatar The Last Airbender. Avatar The Last Airbender is a cartoon created by Michael Dante DiMartino and Brian Konetsko for Nickelodeon and it aired from 2005 to 2008. The story of Avatar is set in a world where people can control or bend the four elements. The main character, Aang, is also known as the Avatar who is the one person in the world who can control all four. But while the world needed him most, he vanished. And while he vanished, the Fire Nation set out on an imperialist rule over the other three nations and threw the world off balance. Aang, who was in a coma for all this time, awakens to find himself 100 years into a future to a world on the brink of a collapse and the realization that the Fire Nation has killed all of the air nomads, leaving him leaving him as the last airbender. The series follows Aang and his newly acquired friends as they travel the world looking for people who can help Aang learn how, con how to control the other three elements. The main cast includes Avatar Aang, along with a 14-year-old waterbender named Katara, who acts as the mother of the group and as Aang's waterbending master. Katara's older brother Sokka is a non-bender, and he also acts as the leader of their ragtag group of teens. Aang's earthbending master is a 12-year-old girl named Toph, who is also blind and an earthbender. Suki, a non-bender, is also part of the group and acts as Sokka's love interest, but is also a very skilled warrior from the Earth Kingdom. And closing out our ragtag group of teens, Zuko is the banished crowned prince of the Fire Nation, who defected to the side of the Avatar and acts as his firebending master. Our main antagonists are Zuko's father and sister, Ozai and Azula, respectively. The episodes we have chosen to focus on are the four episodes that compile the series finale, where Aang faces against Fire Lord Ozai in one final showdown, while his friends attack the military and Zuko fights for his rightful claim to the Fire Nation throne. The four episode series finale was written by Michael and Brian, along with the show's head writer, Aaron Gabriel Azaz. The finale, entitled Sozin Sozin's Comet, parts one through four, is the climax battle of the war. Aang plans to defeat Ozai during Sozin's Comet, which will give the firebenders unbelievable power and strength. And so Aang must face a crucial decision. Will he kill the Fire Lord or will he spare his life? I will pass the mic over to Rob, who will be doing our narrative analysis. Yes, thank you for that. All right, so, um, basically what a narrative analysis is like how the story is told it's not like what is inside the story so it's like basically how the story is told and um, there, there are basically five terms that I want to go ahead and approach the first one is the equilibrium and um, so so in, in Sozin's comment which is damn near the last episode all of them are like compiled into one um, this the equilibrium is like the world that was like in a state of peace before the disruption. So the equilibrium includes Aang, uh, Zuko, Katara, Toph, Sokka, Appa, and Momo. Appa and Momo, they're not really like uh, uh, characters, but they contribute a lot to the show, even though they don't really speak English at all. So what happens, the disruption happens when when they're all training to kill the Fire Lord and Aang this, 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 um, like he noticed that he knows that he has to kill the Fire Lord and able to bring restoration to the world. And with him recognizing this, it causes great, dis great discomfort and great stress. 
you know, he basically detaches from everybody and he has to go through, you know, to try to go repair this by himself. And um, yeah, so basically when he's on the repair to do this, the makers, the makers portray Aang repairing this by taking time, you know, to find a Zen place where he's able to connect with himself fully and his past ancestors. His past ancestors are um, giving him life advice, which is actually pretty cool because anybody who's watching the episode can go ahead and take something from it, you know, whether they're going through like something tragic in their life or they're stepping into a new realm. It can really help them out. And so so I really like how um, the um, basically the makers of the show did this last episode because it was just like basically like coming of age, um, getting rid of or dealing with what makes you uncomfortable and transforming that so you can become something greater and something better. So basically the repair is him having to go through this whole thing, finding his places in, talking with some avatars and stuff like that. And he talked with uh, Avatar Koruk, and around the 36-minute mark, uh, you can find this episode on Netflix, by the way, uh, Season 3, Episode 16. Around the 36-minute mark, Avatar Koruk says, you must actively shape your own destiny and the destiny of the world. You know, so, like, yeah, I'm just going to leave that out there. And then, <laughs> so the new equilibrium happens when he fights and defeats the Fire Lord. Or, basically, the repair happens when he realizes that he doesn't he, he he doesn't have to kill the fire lord he doesn't have to kill him that's 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 where the repair happens and then the new equilibrium happens when he defeats the fire lord takes his powers you know basically makes him weak and stuff like that and that's the new equilibrium um ang is like kind of like represented in a childlike form so he has those tendencies but he's also like a life source for everybody and um the story is told in a way where it engages the audience and it helps to help help the audience find themselves. So basically, there's a lot of life lessons. So that's how the narrative the, the narrative's basically a lot of life a lot of life lessons, life reality, and applying that to your own life. All right, thank you. Why do you want to Yeah. So uh, for the symbiotics in Avatar: The Last Airbender. There are two main things that I've noticed when it comes to visual and auditory uh, cues is that mainly they try and connect a lot to the real life culture that they allude to with the four nations and like illustrating the power that certain characters have. So talking about the characters a bit, uh, each of the main characters that are in Team Avatar's group are uh, very representative of the nations that they come from, seeing as they're all masters of, like, their elements. So, for example, Toph is very uh, steadfast and, like, solid in, like, her actions and how she speaks, uh, seeing as she is, like, a master earthbender. And then, on the contrary, Aang is very, uh, like, carefree and go-with-the-flow kind of person because he's uh, air nomad. Um, and then continuing with characters... There's a lot of subtle visual nods that show that characters have uh, completed their arcs from seasons past. So there's one scene when they're on the beach in the beginning of the episode where Toph is able to sandbin a perfect copy of Ba Sing Se, which is the capital of the Earth Kingdom, which is showing the end of a character arc where in season two she was unable to save Appa from being stolen by sandbenders because she couldn't sandbin back then. So it's showing how much she has like grown as both a bender 
and as a person just to, like trying to help this group of people that she only met months before. Um, another example is Azula, when having a breakdown before she fights with Zuko and Katara, she sees, it's not really explained if it is her actual mother or like just a vision she has of her mother, but in a previous season it was shown that like it was her fault for her mother being banished from the Earth Kingdom. And so her mom showing up is like very representative of her accepting like the guilt that she has from like getting her mother banished. Um, and going back to more the general visual style of the show, uh, there's definitely a lot of allusion to anime in the art style where it's uh, a lot more realistic than many other children's shows in the, in the like portrayal of characters and environments while still staying cartoonish enough to like illustrate the magic of the world and make it seem like spiritual. Um, and like an example of like an environment that actually alludes to a specific anime is Dragon Ball uh, with the final fight between Aang and Ozai, where in Dragon Ball, a lot of the f like areas where they fight are just like these giant deserts with like large rock spires. So there can be plenty of like visual explosions and like just stuff to look at. Um, and it's a similar environment with Aang and Ozai where they're in just a giant desert filled with like rock spires for them to be able to do like a lot of bending. Um, and then going towards the power structure that they try and show. So the magic system in Avatar is established from the first episode of you have to like move in specific ways to do your bending. And all the, all the movements are actual like fighting forms that you can see throughout Asian cultures. Um, however, in this last episode, to illustrate how like a lot of the characters have improved with their ability, they have them like break this structure of movement to bend and just bend without having like any movement at all or like little to no movement. So for example, uh, to end the battle between Katara and Azula, she freezes both of them in a block of ice, but then by just exhaling, she's able to move freely within the ice through like a, a veil of water and like uh, tie up Azula through that. And then another example is uh, during the fight with Aang and Ozai, uh, there's a part where Aang is like getting overwhelmed by this this uh, overpowering battle, so he covers himself in like a, a sphere of rocks. But Ozai is able to, without moving his hand, just like start blasting fire at him to like show how strong this like antagonist is. But then to counter that, after Aang goes into the Avatar state, he's able to bend all four elements without moving to show that like even though he is strong, like, ultimately the Avatar is going to be stronger because he's, like, the good guy and, like, the, the force of balance within the world. Um, and on top of this, the, the sound effects that are in the show are both, like, realistic in that, like, if you saw, like, a giant rock be thrown at a mountain or something, it would make that sound, but also it's used to, like, illustrate the power of specific bending. Uh, and then going back towards... Uh, talking about culture in relation to the visuals, like the styles of the four kingdoms are very closely related to like actual uh, cultures in Asia, such as the Earth Kingdom being related to China or Japan being uh, very closely related to the Fire Nation. In terms of uh, outfits, architecture, music, food, cultural customs, 
and go. That's about it. All right. Danny. 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 Yeah, so um, I wasn't super familiar with the show initially. I like watched it once when I was younger, but as I rewatched, I began to notice how seemingly intentional a lot of things were and symbolic. Um, and there was a lot of symbolism that was used to portray underlying messages within the show. For example, I thought it was really interesting how um, the episodes we chose to focus on started on an island as they prepare for battle. I saw this as a moment of solitude before anger, um, island being solitude and isolation of sorts, and anger being the battle, and also um, fire, which is typically used as a symbol of anger. Um, also, it's notable that they um, encounter the being of a lion turtle. A lion and a turtle are very different, yet the creators chose to combine them, and they're two contrasting strengths, similar to Aang, the main character. Um, Aang himself possesses the powers of earth, air, water, and fire, all conflicting natural elements within him, which is representative to his internal struggle between not wanting to cause harm, even in moments of defense, versus the actual actualization that harm may be necessary sometimes. So um, Aang is similar to the lion turtle, um, and Aang himself, they're both almost like contradictions, um, even though not exactly. Um, but we finally begin to see a clear shift after Aang kisses Katara in the um, ending of season three. And there's this like loss of his innocence that we witness that leads to the internal shift that's needed to a resolution. Um, so the series starts with Aang and all the other characters noticeably young. And then throughout the seasons, we see them grow physically and mentally, which is a rarity in cartoon-styled shows. Um, but Aang starts as a wide-eyed kid, and it ends with him being... Um, a little physically bigger and older and mentally changed in a positive way, though he still acts as this, as this fountain of youth for those around him. Um, he One of his most notable characteristics is that he has a blue arrow on top of his head, and blue is often used as a symbol, um, like the colors, used as a symbol of life, which Aang seems to provide to everyone around him, like a motivation of sorts. So um, I thought it was interesting how there's all these little symbols that tie into Aang and his growth within the show. Right, perfect. And now Lizeth and I will be working on our cultural analysis, and Lizeth is specifically going to talk about the women of the show. Um, yeah, so I will be talking about the representation of the girls in the show. Um, the girls uh, play a huge role <clears throat> Sorry, in the series. Um, without them, Aang would be dead. <clears throat> sorry. Um, Katara, one of the main characters, is the mother of the group. Uh, she is a problem solver and never willing to give up. Uh, she's one of the most powerful waterbenders and also a bloodbender. Um, and she's a talented healer, healer and without her, um, Aang would be dead because she did heal him. And that just, you know, showed her a lot of growth because she was, um, you know, under a lot of pressure, like her friend, her best friend, her companion <clears throat> was dying. Um, and, uh, you know, she healed him. And um, that just showed, like, how successful and how much growth she's had over the series. Um, <clears throat> sorry. Uh, Toth is uh, the complete opposite. Uh, she behaves more like the boys. Um, and she's more likely uh, to get um, into a physical fight with the boys and really doesn't care what people think about her. Um, she is blind but takes most people's offer of kindness as charity and pity. Uh, Toph doesn't like being offered um, help um, because she feels it robs her of her independence. 
Um, this also is a representation of empowered disability as Toth lives a normal life, despite the fact that her parents think she's constantly um, vulnerable due to her blindness. Uh, Toth compensates for her lack of sight with her being one of the most powerful earth and metal and, you know, all in sand um, bending um, by being able to sense vibrations. And that just shows her how, you know, how powerful she really is, even if she does, um, you know, she even, even she can't see. Um, Azula, who doesn't have the greatest morals, is one of, um, like, the best female cartoon villains. Um, I believe so. She's intelligent, resourceful, and a um, master strategist. Azula is one of the most powerful firebenders, and she can also cast lightning, which is rare for a firebender. Her hobbies are tormenting her enemies um, and being extremely manipulative, uh, which helps um, when she fights her brother. Um, she just brutally, like, she does not care, um, even if, you know, her brother Zuko like is trying to be like on her side but then you know he kind of changes later um she's like always have this hatred towards him and she really shows it um throughout the series um and you know when she comes to conquer the earth kingdom in the second season um she's a really whole card villain um which makes her probably one of the greatest uh, overall and it shows her how much power she has and even like she has grown throughout the series, even if it was she never turned good, she's always kind of, you know, been bad and, like, on her father's side. Um, and overall, the girls are, um, even, like, there's some other girls, like Asuki, um, that I didn't talk about. Um, but, um, um, sorry. Overall, the girls are some of the strongest characters in the series. Um, they're written, written as intelligent and powerful fighters, not as, like, damsels in distress. Um, which is, you know, very modern there, even if it's like a sh show about like war and, you know, like growth and like fighting, um, they even represent the woman, um, the girls. Um, and there are many more female characters that are strong, but Katara, Toph, and Azula have, you know, more empowerment throughout the show. All right. Avatar The Last Airbender has become one of the most well-loved shows in the past decade. One of these reasons being the cultural aspects and inspirations behind the show. The show is heavily influenced by the cultures of Asia and indigenous people, each nation being inspired by a specific cultural group. As mentioned previously, the Fire Nation is heavily inspired by Japan. The Earth Kingdom is inspired by China, while the Air Nomads are inspired by Tibetan monks. The water tribes are represented through Inuit nations and indigenous nations. Even then, the swamp benders, which are an offshoot tribe of the water tribe, are inspired by the Asian immigrants of the Mississippi Delta in the United States. A lot of the culture influence spans past this. Monk Gyatso, Aang's airbending mentor, is named after the current Dalai Lama. The written language in Avatar is mostly comprised of Chinese characters, even though the characters speak English, the written language is completely Asian inspired. Even the fighting styles of the nations are completely different and, and rooted in reality. Apologies for my pronunciations for these next few, but waterbending is heavily inspired by Tai Chi Chuan, 
the Earth Kingdom fights in the style of Hunga Kung Fu. The Fire Nation fights in the style of Northern Shaolin Kung Fu. And the Air Nomads, while pacifists, have a fighting style similar to Bunguazang. Even then, there are chakras, which are heavily rooted in the religion of Hinduism. So culture plays a big, big part in creating these characters, and a lot of them is rooted in very real things. The Dalai Lama is still present today, even though he's not really part of, well, he's not really in his home. Not only is cultural representation, representation prominent in an avatar, the characters also represent many other minority groups, like Lizeth said. Toph is extremely powerful and is known as the most powerful earthbender, despite the fact that she is literally 12 years old and blind. The Kiyoshi warriors are a group of women in the Earth Kingdom, but they are highly skilled and highly respected fighters inspired by one of the previous avatars. There are also many different social issues integrated into Avatar. An early one in the first episode being Sokka being just extremely sexist towards his sister. And then he got bodied and humbled by Suki four episodes later and he realized maybe I was being an idiot. And one of the most obvious ones for older audiences is the Fire Nation. Literally inspired by Japan, there are many, many, many issues with them about imperialism and colonialism, where they're taking over Earth Kingdom cities and turning them into Fire Nation colonies. And they're set to essentially take over the world, where the final episode, their, their master plan being taking Sozin's Comet and doing a scorched earth policy with the Fire Lord burning the world to ashes. A lot of moral issues come into play as Aang struggles to come to terms with possibly having to end a life while the Air Nomads grew up as pacifists, even as vegetarians. A lot of these aspects are the reason why Avatar has a very, very large target audience. In its initial run, the target audience was younger children, like ages six to 12. But many, many high school and college age people still continue to watch this show especially over the course of the 2020 pandemic, this whole series was put on streaming in Netflix in the United States. Previously, it was only available on Amazon, which many people don't really have, while Netflix is a very large streaming platform. And it led to a resurgence of sorts, where people who grew up watching the show took the time to watch it again, sometimes even with younger family members who didn't see the show during its original run, which is what I did with my niece. The show appeals to younger kids through humor and action and fantasy, but it also appears to older audiences through societal messages of genocide, morality, imperialism, colonialism, sexism, or just plain old nostalgia, which is one of the reasons I love the show. And that's pretty much it for our Avatar analysis. Thanks for listening.